Hello there, and welcome to Vision Scope. In today's episode, I'm going to be telling you a little bit about the wind of change which began to blow over the Salvation Army Institute for the Blind in the early 1950s. By 1953, the workshops for the blind had experienced reasonable growth and a new building was put in place and new equipment bought and um, there was also, I think there were also several lines of products that were introduced. These included um, mattress making and mat making using coir. Those are the two that I can remember offhand. So the workshops really had experienced a reasonable level of growth. But unfortunately, the School for the Blind did not have the same results. When we look back, um, the school at that time still maintained the policy of ensuring that blind people could read and write and speak reasonably well, but the end result was that either you were going to go home at the end of your schooling or you were going to go to the workshops and go into the, one of the lines of products. Because we had some very skilled people at the workshops, you know. We had people who were good at dressmaking, although they were totally blind. They could cut and they could measure accurately using tape measures that were marked. And um, they, they were also using the regular sewing machines. So the ladies had some things going for them. Um, and the men had become very skilled in weaving, basket making, chair caning, all these things. But spaces in the workshops were limited and you really had to demonstrate a level of skill in one of these areas to get accepted into the workshops. So the end result was usually that most persons got sent home. And unfortunately, they were sent home without any writing equipment because they couldn't afford to buy even the slate and stylus that were used at that time. And so communication with their friends was down to zero because they had no way of communicating once they left the school. At the same time, a great deal of unrest began to surface at the workshops. 
in order to understand what was happening, we have to look a little bit at institutional care. The same level of rules that were in place for the students was, as far as I can recall, the same set of rules that were in place for the adults. Institutional care meant that individuals were taken care of, their, ba their basic needs were met, meals were provided, they had to eat what was um, offered to them, they had to um, go to bed at a certain time because the rules indicated that they had to get permission to leave the compound. And remember now, we're talking about adults. We're not talking about the children's side of the institute. We're talking about adults. So they had to comply with all these rules and regulations. So they had to get permission if they were going to be out for a day, uh, all these things. And I think after a while it got, it got to the adults because increasingly people wanted more independence and they wanted uh, not to be a part of any process that was going to hold them, as it were, hostage. So they began to complain and they rebelled. And then, on the other hand, wages were also extremely low. So they, they, they really didn't have enough except to buy some basic things that they needed, you know, basic toiletries, etc. But the rest of the time, they had no money. And that, I think, eventually got to them. Now, they started writing letters to the local authority. They started with the local authority first, and then they gradually moved up until they began writing to various agencies in England, and they also wrote to the British government. A number of these instigators included people like Arnold Fairweather, Clinton White, um, a gentleman by the name of Levy, I can't remember his first name now, um, Ronald Ayers, and a number of others. And, and they began to really make serious complaints and, and, and serious noises about the state of affairs at the Institute. 